Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello and welcome. Today we're talking about the private brand landscape. Um, I'm joined by my colleague, Mary Ellen Lynch, Principal Center Store Solutions, which um, frankly that title really doesn't tell the real story because Mary Ellen is IRI's resident expert in private brands. And by today's state, like today we're going to be talking about private brands. We might also talk about store brands, private labels. Um, They're all part of the same thing. And Mary Ellen and I have crossed paths many times over the course of our career, so it's especially rewarding and fun to be working together at IRI and finally getting our work to sync up so nicely. Um, So today we're going to be talking about a report recently published called Consumer Demand for Private Brands, which you can find on our website, iriworldwide.com. So Mary Ellen, welcome. Um, let's jump in. Joan? Yeah, let's jump in. During a pandemic, with all the uncertainty that consumers faced, um, the unstable supply chain, especially in the second half of 2021, when inflation started to rise, we would think that consumers would have turned to private brands much more dramatically than they did. And it just didn't happen. So can we talk about why? Yes. And let's talk about not what our expectations are, which are based on history, but let's step back a little bit and consider this was actually an abrupt shock to the consumer need state and how it has and is still driving shifts in consumer behavior is what's really we need to understand. So looking early on, you know, in the initial lockdown, you know, in the the buying surge shoppers were doing, they were basically trying to anticipate what would be needed. And, you know, that's on, this was an unprecedented, you know, situation that they had never experienced before. So they were just buying anything, right? And because of that, then the shelves became depleted. And they were buying anything because they didn't know how long this would last. What does this mean? So they're scrambling to understand for themselves and their family, you know, what is this just for a month? Is this for a week? Um, Now we know it's a couple of years into it (laughs) and people are continuing to adapt their behavior, but essentially they loaded their pantries to the extent that their budgets would permit. And sometimes beyond that, and the course of this, they returned to familiar brands, whether because they gave a you know, a feeling of comfort, or it was simplifying shopping, it expedited shopping, or it was the only thing on the shelf. Um, so after the things became depleted, and consumers were buying just what was available, this is when the brand started to reestablish themselves for this new environment. And they very much did. They, they kind of circled the wagons, they looked at ways to expedite everything they did. And um, in many ways, it was much easier for a brand with a single formula to pivot, you know, more efficiently to get products on the shelf. For a private brand, store brand manufacturer, keep in mind, they're managing 
many brands, many formulas on the same line. Every time they want to produce for a different retailer, they have to ship things in and out. A brand can just keep running and running 24-7. And so that helped you know, more brands to stay on shelf. So why are consumers buying? I mean, it's familiarity and comfort of the known brand combined with availability. But now let's talk about the other question, which is, you know, the stimulus. So they had this money. And so they had more money to buy brands. And then that money went away. So yes, the stimulus helped keep consumers buying name brands. But also keep in mind, consumers had more money, many of them anyways, beyond the stimulus, because they're not paying to commute, they're not paying to go out to eat, not paying for vacations, not buying that new car. And in some cases, they're not paying for after school care or child care. And so finally, and there's, so there's a lot, right? There is, you know, I mean, I'm looking, you know, so much of the growth, you're absolutely right. So much of the growth really was incumbent upon people not being sensitive to price. As you said, you know, they were, they were just buying what they could find. And that kind of all the stimulus that you're talking about, all the added savings that you're talking about, they were a little bit immune to pricing. So we saw premium goods in particular really drive a lot of growth in 2021, 2020 and the first half of 2021. But now as we're kind of going into 2022, we're anticipating that with all these higher prices, that now price is going to be driving the growth uh, moving forward. And we'll get to that in a little bit. I am, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the research um, that you did for that report that I mentioned, Consumer Demand for Private Brands. And that was that you found that consumers had different degrees of loyalty to store brands, and you actually segmented them. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, I want to find out who are these private brand shoppers? Mm-hmm. Right. And you're exactly right. What we did is we segmented the consumers based on their share of pantry to private brands. And we rank ordered them on their, so each individual household, their share and rank ordered them and divided them into three segments. So we had the consumers leaning into private brands and those that are more leaning into um, national brands and a group in the middle. And it's based on actual all outlet buying behavior. And, you know, we all know that bigger households have more mouths to feed, high income has more disposable income to spend, et cetera. But now overlaying those kind of demographics with the loyalty segment reveals that those leaning into store brands tend to be more suburban, less diverse. And, um, you know, keep in mind, those are the households that actually have more CPG retail and shopping choices available. What we also know is important that overall millennials and seniors over-index on their store brand share of purchasing as well. So those millennials are very important, as are the seniors, and for different reasons. Yeah, so the millennials, I, you know, they're still the younger shoppers. I would think they would be the ones that you'd really want to grab onto. And of course, you know, older consumers, they have in many cases, more money to spend, more disposable income. So again, two really attractive um, population segments. Right. And even within each of those, there are segments. So you have the younger millennials, but then you have the older millennials, younger millennials, starting households, establishing households, older millennials, uh, expanding families, uh, the older kids eating more groceries, 
And then on your seniors, you have households with more disposable income, but also you have some on very fixed income. So it's not so simple. Which, you know, again, very complicated across the board because, you know, we're not even getting into all the many tiers of private brands. Um, But one thing that we learned was that store brand loyalists tend to shop, they like shopping more than other segments. So how how are you seeing that retailers are luring these shoppers into their stores? Several different strategies we're seeing. Some are the kind of... uh, Let's keep it interesting and delight them with, and again, it's some of those premium items, more uh, experiential, especially people that are in lockdown and not lockdown, but still at home, eating more meals at home. And then also in search. So online, um, being having those um, store brands appear early on, but not so much that they're um, actually dominating the search, but so that they appear in logical ways in the search when consumers are looking for products. And then also leaning into really creating full programs around trending types of products. So full programs around what consumers are demanding now, increasing in demand, for example, plant-based, natural health and beauty, those types of things. Treating these store brands just the way branded manufacturers treat brands. You know, like you said, with promotions, search is absolutely critical. Um, But also why would, you know, why would someone want to buy the product? It's like, there has to be some marketing behind it. There has to be some shelf presence behind it. There has to be some merchandising. Um, And that, I think when retailers are so focused on trade dollars, they kind of lose sight of the value of promoting their own um, their own lines of products. Right. And it's, and it goes beyond just the promotion, right? It's managing the tangibles around the product. It's managing how the shopper perceives the product. Are all those things aligned? So it looks like they can trust that product if they're, if it's something they haven't bought before. Trust and trial are critical to store brands. Well, and so you've just hit on two things right there. And the first one is, you know, that whole mentality of you can only get it here, you know, and that is, like you said, promoting more exploration with interesting flavor profiles or interesting products that really solve a need. Um, So there's that, like you can only get it here. And we know that a lot of people shop specific stores to get a store brand product. I mean, I know I do. And then when you talk about trust and trial, you know, that is the perfect gateway to exploring other products in the same line. You know, if if a consumer really likes, say, a cookie or a cracker, they're far more likely to try another product in that store brand portfolio. And that's right, exactly right. And they'll try it kind of in that realm, right? So they they tried something that was edible, it was a snacking product, and they'll kind of look for similar kind of in that those that aisle, getting them to cross over to a different aisle, dairy, beverage, whatever. Um, that's another leap for them. That's where these retailers might want to get a little more strategic in promoting products. You know, we saw that you bought X. Here's an incentive, cents off, whatever, to try one of these products in a different aisle of the store. And that's exactly right. And if we go back and look at, think about those loyalty groups, 
the ones that are already leaning into store brands, but maybe not necessarily buying the store brand in a particular category, yet they're shopping that category, they're a prime candidate to try to get them to flip into the store brand. Right. I love it. And and we have so much information on these shoppers. Leverage it. So let's dig in a little bit more into what might make a successful private brand program. And I think here I do want to touch on different tiers of products because you know, when private brands like first launched many, many, many years ago, it was generic and it was the plain can. But over time, some retailers have different levels of products. You know, it might be the um, the entry level value product, but then they might step it up and really have a premium brand that embraces things like international flavors or professional strength over-the-counter medications. Um, so in your opinion, you watch this all the time. Are, can you kind of take us through what a successful retail offering might look like? Sure. And, you know, let's uh, kind of as a foundation, let's keep in mind that the majority of store brands, private brands, are kind of in the mid-tier. So store brands, people talk about them as good, better, or best really the good being an opening price point or the real value price point. Uh, Better is kind of the me too type products and best are the premium, interesting type products. And you're exactly right. Those premium products are growing, but about 80% of the products are still about, are in that mid me too type products. So when we think about those premium products, they are the products that the retailers are developing options for the consumer that are more budget friendly for things that the consumers are now demanding. So when you talk about plant-based, clean ingredient, um, interesting ethnic flavors, um, maybe new formats, um, fun, you know, uh, those types of things. There are smaller percentage wise of total store brands, but it is the area it's growing and it is the area that differentiates you and can get and harness that consumer's attention. I love that because that is ultimately what I think is going to help get those shoppers in the door, you know? So um, to kind of wrap up a little bit, I'd really love to hear your outlook for private brands in 2022, especially because I think now economically, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of shoppers. Well, it's it's a multifaceted story, right? So it really depends on if the brands keep spending. Do they how they're leaning hard into innovation? They're leaning hard into promotion and trade. And the the brands have been pushing really hard to attract and keep the customers. So that's a headwind to store brands. And you know, the consumer will look for the best deal. So in the times of inflation and tightening of their budget, still it's cheaper to eat at home than go out. So um, they're either going to step down in their purchases or the brand will spend to keep them into the future. So will the, will the consumer have options where, you know, prices grade at shelf for the store brand and there's a consumer deal. And so they're start they're smart and they're stacking up their deals or they're smart and they're waiting for it to go on sale. And so that they can keep buying that name brand. 
And, you know, I've, I've been telling some of my peers that this is kind of a time where home economics is going to become sexy again. <laughs> Basically, the consumer is going to be shifting their mindset, you know, and they're going to be thinking, you know, things like I can have more of what I want if I'm smart about what I have. And so to what extent the stores can really support that, the retailers can really support that change and that need state and that mindset in the face of the consumer, the name brand um, spent on fighting to retain that consumer. Right. And I do want to say at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't have to be all about private brands. You know, I think that even smart merchandising includes private brands and name brands. So it doesn't have to be, you know, at the exclusion of name brands at all. Um, and that part, that is part of what I think I'm hearing you say, you know, for those products that you really want that are part of your um, comfort, part of your entertainment, part of your fun, that are name brands, go ahead, stick with it. But I do think that retailers have a huge opportunity to maybe incentivize shoppers again for the more you buy of the private brand, the more you save. So um, overall, a really good conversation. I just want to recap a couple of the things that I heard from you. And that is in diving into some of your research, you found that millennials and seniors, you know, maybe over-indexed a bit on their loyalty to store brands which are, it's like an interesting position. And I think particularly with those millennials, you know, that's a lifetime of shopper ahead of you. So continue to, to serve the needs of these younger people with growing families. Um, we know that store brand loyalists like to shop in store more often. So point out your products differentiation at the shelf, you know, point out the different um, things that make these products exclusive to you and a genuine point of differentiation so that they will want to come back and maybe even test their loyalty or their trust in one of your products to another one of the categories. And as we go into 2022, um, particularly with, with inflation, price is going to be more of a factor. So help people feel good about the purchases they're making and um, Hopefully that Comac will make a comeback. So Comac will make a comeback. Oh, <laughs> good tagline. <laughs> Mary Ellen, thanks for your time. And I hope that we can talk again soon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.